This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. We're going to start a brand new two-part series today on the heart of generosity. And if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you today about the joy of generosity. You can take down notes by writing down on a note card in front of you. If you brought something to write with, you can always use the online version as well. Follow along on the notes with you version if you have your uh, phone or you have your iPad or what have you. The joy of generosity. You know, as I was thinking about people just coming in and just being weighted down with so much junk, with so much pressure, with so much stuff, you know, it, it, it seems like joy is something that we try to obtain through buying it. We think that joy is something we try to obtain through maybe running away from certain things in our lives. Oh, if I could just get away from this, or if I could just have this, then I would truly be happy, or I would truly be at peace. And I think that we're on a quest for things that would bring us happiness. But we know that the only true thing in our lives that will ever bring us what true joy actually is, is a life that is just sealed and wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? And I think that as we look at the model of Christ, as we look at the model of the heart of God, the very heartbeat of God, we can see that God is generous. And as I was thinking about this, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever met an unhappy, generous person? Now, I'm not just talking about financially here. So if you're stuck on finances, you're in the wrong boat because I'm just talking about all around generous. Have you ever met an unhappy, generous person? Let's ask another question. Have you ever met an unhappy, tight-fisted person who doesn't ever want to give anything away, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a, a second helping of that steak, you know, that they might have cooked? You know, they, 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 they want to be stingy with everything. Those people are often unhappy, and we see that. But as we think about, have we ever met an unhappy, generous person? You know, I think there's something that ties to generosity because there is a joy that God attaches to generosity in our lives. And if we learn the path that God has played out in Scripture to develop in us a heart of generosity, then we too are going to grow in that experience in life and be able to reflect His glory. Now, I looked up the word generous in Webster's Dictionary, and this is what Webster says. There's three different versions of the word generous that Webster defines. One is freely giving or sharing money or other valuable things. Two is providing more than the amount that is needed or normal, and you're getting a generous helping. It's an abundant or ample. Or the third one is showing kindness and concern for others. And I really think that a generous heart glorifies God because it reflects his character to the world through us. It really shows the world the character of God, because most of us, if you've been in church very long, even if you haven't, you probably have heard or seen a reference to John 3.16. And we see the very heart of God displayed in John 3.16 that says, God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Isn't that interesting that God's love is attached to what God gave? God so loved the world that he gave. And because of that generous heart that is the heartbeat of God, when you and I have a generous heart, it points 
everything to Him. And it brings glory to Him because it reflects His character. Because the world needs to see the love of God. And it sees the love of God best through you and through me, living out the way that God wants us to live. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want you to turn there if you have your Bible. See what the Apostle Paul has to say about being generous. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Paul's talking to Timothy here. And he says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Isn't it interesting here that he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or trust in their riches, trust in uncertain riches, but rather to trust in God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. So where does all of this stuff come from? Where does our time come from? Where, where, where does our, our, our jobs come from? The things that we have, the things that we possess, they're not truly ours because we understand all things come from God. You and I are merely stewards of what God has blessed us with. Amen? And when we look at it that way, we understand that everything is from Him, then I understand this is not something that I did on my own because everything truly is from God. A generous heart glorifies God when it recognizes that God is the source. Wouldn't you say that 1 Timothy chapter 6 would definitely um, apply to we who live in America? Who says those who are rich in this present age should not be haughty compared to the rest of the world? I think that we're all aware that we are living very wealthy, if we have a home, if we're, none of us are, are, are really that concerned with where we're going to sleep tonight that I'm aware of, most of us may not be concerned with where our next meal is coming from, although the longer the sermon goes, you may be more concerned with that. <laughs> we're not really as concerned with those things as people that are in different countries that do not live as abundantly as we do in America. You've probably heard it said, but it's worth saying again. That if, you know, you take the poorest person in America and you could compare him to anyone that's in a starving third world country and he would still be considered rich. He would still be considered well taken care of it and, 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 and because you just think about the lack that is in the world. I think there's a responsibility that comes with people who understand where their blessing comes from and that is from God. And if we understand that responsibility, it is for us to model generosity because we understand what we've been given and who gave it to us. Amen? Amen. We understand where it came from. We understand that this is not something that I came up with because I'm so slick and I'm so sharp. No, this is God blessing me and this is God enabling me to do what I do to be able to take care of my family or to be able to live a good life or what have you. You see, the purpose of life is just not so we can accumulate things and so we can have that new car, so we can have that new house, and so we can just be sitting pretty, have a nice nest egg, have good retirement. That's not the purpose of life. The purpose of our lives, ladies and gentlemen, is to glorify God. And when we understand that, that means with everything that we have, that means with our time, with our talent, 
and with our treasure. And when we do and when we're generous with those things, it reflects the glory of God to a world who desperately needs to see his love. You know, when we get this thing turned in on us and when we think that we have somehow done something in and of ourselves and we make it all about us and we begin to look at ourselves as the source or we look at our job as the source or we look at our happiness being directly attached to what we've accumulated or where we live or what we drive, what happens when those things deteriorate or when we lose those things? What happens when those things are no more? What happens when, you know, uh, you lose the house? What happens when you lose the job? Well, a lot of times our joy goes right out the door with it because oftentimes our happiness is directly attached to those things. And if that's the case, then we're going to only be temporarily satisfied and we're going to be chasing after the next thing to just get a little taste of a false happiness that's not going to really last. The joy that comes from the Lord is going to last and endure. Amen? It's not going to be something that's going to be temporarily attached to stuff. And if we look at God as as our pathway to stuff, thinking, oh God, I would really be happy if I had this. God, I would finally be full of joy if I had this. When did Christ stop being enough for us? You see, when we recognize that we truly have everything that we need, then God can work with us a heart of generosity. When we recognize that He is our source, God can work within us a heart of generosity. When we're always worried about what we're going to lose, we're going to hold on to everything that we have because we think that our joy and our significance is directly attached to it. But God wants us to understand that our significance comes from Him, our joy comes from Him, everything that we have comes from Him. The very, bre- the, the very breath that we're breathing, uh, the very air that we're breathing comes from Him. Amen? The very breath that's in our lungs comes from the Father. And when we understand that our time, our talent, our treasure comes from Him, it helps us to recognize that we are called to be a generous people. Really, what we're called to be is stewards. Because you and I really don't own anything because God owns it all, right? The Bible says He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's, it's all His. It all came from Him. He is our source. We are merely stewards. But how we steward or manage what we've been given reflects our relationship with God. As you think about that word steward, we really don't use that word much anymore, but we do use the word manager. We do use, I'm managing these things, I'm managing my time, I'm managing my money, I'm managing the things that I have and the abilities that God has given me. How I manage that, how I manage what God has entrusted me with, what God has set me to, it really reflects my relationship with Him. It shows, do I really understand His heart? Because if I understand His heart, then I'm going to be generous with those things and manage them with excellence and manage them well. Let's look at this in Scripture. Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bible, you can go there. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 13. Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 13. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward... And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him in. He said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, Oh man, what am I going to do? My master has taken the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and he said to the first, How much money do you owe my master? He said, I owe him a hundred measures of oil. He said, Well, take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. 
Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, well, you need to take your bill, write 80. So the master com- commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is going to be unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the trust of true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, then who's going to give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he's going to hate the one and he's going to love the other, or else he's going to be loyal to the one and he's going to despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The Bible says you have to make a decision. And how you handle these things, how you deal with these things, is going to reflect your relationship with God. The things that you've been entrusted with, your time, your talent, your treasure, the type of employee that you are at work, is going to reflect your perception and your relationship with God. How we manage and steward our finances is going to reflect our relationship with God. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean it's going to show if we truly understand who our source is. It's going to show how much we really trust God as our source. Because if I said God is our source, amen, church, everybody go, amen, Pastor. But does the way we steward and manage reflect that? Does the way that we steward and manage our time, our talent, and our treasure, are those things reflective in our lives? Because how we do those things is going to show our trust in God. And it should be a picture to us, a reality check. One of the, my favorite things that we do in our Trek class that I'm in is that we do what's called a reality check. Where you may have yourself fooled thinking one way. Or you may be thinking that things are actually going a certain way. And you'll just say to your group, hey, I need a reality check in this area. Am I thinking clearly here? Is this really my perception? Is my perception really actually what's going on? Or is my perception and reality, are they so, so far off the charts from each other? Is it such a stark contrast that I need you to bring me back to reality? And I think that if we are to stop and look at our lives and look at how we manage, we could see, wow, this really does reflect how much I truly trust God. It does really reflect the importance that I have. I remember one time I did this in my youth group when uh, I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma. I wrote down on the board, I, I had one of the kids come up and I told him, I said, I want you to write down on this board your priorities in your life. And what do you think they wrote first? God, right? Because we know that's what we're supposed to write, right? <laughs> God. And then I said, all right, what's your next priority? Well, my family, okay. And then what about after that? Well, my school. Okay, good. I said, well, what did you spend the most time thinking about this week? And we started another list. Well, we got this softball thing coming up, and I was thinking about this and this and this and this, and I probably spent the most of my time thinking about that. Okay. All right, what did you spend the time thinking about most? Well, I started thinking about my, my girlfriend next, and I started thinking, okay. Well, what did you, th- you spend the most of your time thinking about next? Well, you know, I, I, I was thinking about, you know, this test that's coming up. Okay, so if we look and give ourselves a reality check with what we say and then what our actual life looks like, it should wake us up to go, wow, am I stewarding the things that God has given me in a way that would reflect His character and show my trust in Him? 
Or is it reflecting the fact that maybe I'm not where I thought I was? found this great story that is a great example of this. It says this, For many years I've been actively promoting the idea of generous giving. I have written books and articles about it. I've even taught on it. I've helped affluent families to do it. To say the least, generosity is for me both a calling and a passion. But quite recently, the Lord has shown me through a sequence of unrelated events that I still have a lot to learn about what it means to be generous. Let me tell you the stories. Recently, on a Sunday morning at the end of our worship time, the minister announced that we were about to watch an extraordinary video about a couple in our church. As the video rolls, I'm surprised because I know the husband. It's BJ. We played basketball together, and for the past few years, I liked him. And uh, the very first time we played basketball together, we uh, connected. He's a young man in his late 20s. He has a, he's a successful money-managing practice, and he's extremely talented as an athlete. And since I knew him as one of the main characters, I leaned over to my wife, and I proudly nudged her said, Hey, I know him. My excitement turned into embarrassment as he is in, and his wife shared their story. BJ's wife had a high school friend who was very ill and who needed a kidney transplant. Both of them immediately said to themselves, maybe we could give her one of our kidneys. Well, it seemed reasonable to me that BJ's wife might want to give her good friend one of the kidneys, but as it turned out, BJ's kidney was the perfect match. So without hesitation, he donated one of his kidneys to his wife's high school friend. They shared that it seemed like the right thing to do, and BJ had an extra kidney, and this girl had none. I was stunned. I wouldn't give one of my kidneys for one of my wife's friends. I wouldn't even consider it. Of course I would give one to my wife or one of my children if they needed it, but to one of my wife's friends? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about giving of my time, talent, and treasure, but giving of my torso, my body parts, that was a level of giving that entirely surpassed my current concept of what generosity was. Just a few days later, I was ready to board a plane and return home from a business trip. I was first in line And I was looking forward to getting comfortable in my first-class seat and then zoning out on the flight home. Just prior to our boarding, a very heavy, crippled man had been escorted down the jetway in his wheelchair to board the plane. So I waited patiently for the call to first-class to board. However, just as they began to announce first-class boarding, another guy cuts right in front of me and hands the attendant his boarding pass. His rude manner and obviously arrogant attitude irritated me. As we got to the bottom of the jetway, four airline staff were having difficulty getting the heavy crippled man out of his wheelchair and into the airline wheelchair needed to get him on the plane. This delay was causing a backup on the jetway. Nobody was able to board because they were right in front of the plane door. So here I am. I'm standing and I'm stewing over this rude guy who just cut in front of me while I was waiting to get on the plane. I stood there a little impatiently waiting the airline employees working uh, futilely to get this crippled man into the airline wheelchair. And then the bomb fell. The guy who cut in front of me calls out to the flight flight crew, Hey, let me help you. So he drops his bags, hurries over to help them get the man on the plane in the wheelchair. I was so ashamed. I was standing right there, just like this line cutter was. (laughs) But the thought never even crossed my mind to offer any help. Of all the people standing there watching this happen, this guy who I was convinced was so selfish and full of himself was actually the one who volunteered to help. Unfortunately, the humiliation was not over. When they finally get the man in the wheelchair and through the plane door, Mr. Helpful then says to the airline staff, let me go back and get his bags for you. He comes back off the plane, grabs the man's bag, which, by the way, is right in front of my feet, and takes it into the plane for him. Yet another missed opportunity to live generously. By this point, I'm feeling very convicted about my lack of generosity. 
But interestingly enough, it turns out that the line cutter is sitting right across the aisle from me in first class. I told him that I appreciated his willingness to help the crippled man. He smiled and said, no, it wasn't anything. Well, to him it wasn't, but to me it proved that of the two of us, I was the one who was selfish and full of myself, not him. But God wasn't finished rocking my generosity world that day. (laughs) As I am finally relaxing in my first-class aisle seat, the passengers in economy start filing past me. I hear a woman immediately behind me ask this soldier who is standing right next to me, Soldier, what seat are you in? He says, 21B, one of the dreaded middle seats in the back. I thought, then she says to him, Would you like to sit here? The soldier hesitated, but the woman insisted that he take her first-class seat and then go. she would go sit back in his middle seat in the economy area. Humbled again. <laughs> this is all happening right next to me. Know that I'm deeply, I deeply appreciate what our military does for us as a country and for me as one of its citizens, and I have thanked soldiers for their military service on many occasions. But the thought of offering this soldier my first-class seat and taking a middle seat in economy class on a packed plane was another indicator of just how limited my generosity really is. I've been mulling over these experiences over in my mind for a few weeks now, and I wanted to share them with you because the main lesson I think God has taught me is this. I can be generous in how I give without being generous in how I live. Conversely, I have also learned that a person who lives generously always gives generously. In other words, we may be willing to be extremely generous in giving what we want to give where we want to give it. But with what we don't want to give, we can actually find ourselves being just as selfish and tight-fisted as the infamous Ebenezer Scrooge. Living generously, not giving generously, needs to be our goal. (laughs) As I read that story, I was deeply convicted because I thought, how many times have I been that guy? How many times have all of us been that guy, right, in different areas of our lives? He said, you can give generously without living generously. He said, but you can't live generously without giving generously. You see, it's a byproduct. It's a heart issue. Amen, church? So let me ask all of us, including myself this morning, this question. Are we afraid to live generously because we're afraid of what we cannot control? Are we afraid to live generously because of what we're afraid we might lose in the process? Are we afraid of giving up our seat because we might lose our comfort? Are we afraid of giving our time because of all of the things that we would rather do? You see, 2 Corinthians 9 and 7 says that God loves a cheerful giver. And in that instance, Paul was talking about a monetary gift given by the Macedonians to the church in Corinth, but at the same time, that principle applies all across the board, that God loves a cheerful giver. It didn't say that God loves a cheerful gift, did it? It said that God loves a cheerful giver. You see, God is interested in the heart of the individual, not the gift itself. You notice that nowhere in Scripture does it say God was really impressed with that gift. You remember when all of the priests and Levites were giving and they were giving great gifts in the temple and then along came a woman who gave two small pennies and then Jesus stopped and said, you see this lady right here? She gave more than everybody. And they said, how in the world did that happen? He said, because she gave all that she had. She gave from her heart. She knew where her source was. She was reflecting her position, her heart position with God. 
by saying, I'm trusting you, God, and I'm giving this to you to honor you. God was more interested in her heart. It was the heart of the woman that blew him away, not the amount that had been given. You see, how we manage what we've been given, church, reflects our perception of Christ. It reflects our relationship of, with God. And it shows that generosity because generosity is a matter of the heart. See, things I do from the heart are often done beyond when I simply feel like it because things that are done from the heart are not always easy or convenient, are they? And they're not always things that I feel like doing. I know yesterday was Valentine's Day. <laughs> and you might have felt all lovey-dovey with your spouse because it was Valentine's Day. But when you were waiting two and a half hours to get seated at your table, you weren't feeling lovey. You were feeling frustrated. There have been days where you did not feel very loving towards your spouse, but you choose to love him or her anyways. Why? Because love is a choice. It's not a feeling. The feelings come as a result of me choosing. You see, I don't always feel like being generous, but generosity is a choice because I'm submitting myself to the Word of God and allowing Him to work in me a heart of generosity by being generous with my time, talent, and treasure. Not when I feel like it, not when it's easy, not when it's convenient. Matter of fact, God will often do the best heart work in you and me when we make the choice to follow through with being generous with our lifestyle when we don't feel like it. That's when He does the greatest work in us. Just think about it. Think about a, a, a work of freedom that God is doing in your heart towards an area that you've been bound in. When you actually decide not to do something right in the midst of temptation, that's when God begins to show you how free you truly are. When you begin to be generous and trust Him in times where you don't feel like it, He begins to work something in you. He begins to deal with your heart. Just like when you make the decision to love your spouse, when your spouse may not be being very loving. But you make, the you make the decision anyways. Why? Because there's something more there. There's relationship. It's not convenience. Things that are really in my heart, things that I really care about, I'm going to make those decisions when I feel like it and when I don't. That's why I think that it's important that you and I connect as believers. That's why I think that it's important that we assemble together and worship together as a church family. If we all just came to church when we felt like it, heck, most of us wouldn't get out of bed. Because you may not feel like it every time, right? Maybe you stayed up too late or maybe you didn't feel well. And you're like, I'm not sure if I, if I feel like going to church today. I'm not sure if I feel like being generous. I'm not sure if I feel like giving. I'm not sure if I feel like loving. I'm not sure if I feel like... Man, if I let feelings rule my life, I would never get anything accomplished for the kingdom of God. There's got to be something deeper. When it's in my heart, I'm going to make the decision when it's easy and when it's not. Thank God for the times when it's easy, and I love it. But the times that I make the decision because I know that it's what God has called me to do when I don't feel like it, He begins to work things in my heart that only He can do. Amen? <clears throat> you see, God wants us to reflect His glory through working out a heart of generosity. A selfish, grudgingly giving heart does not reflect His character, nor does it produce joy. If you are generous regretfully, or you're generous because of manipulation, or because of pressure that others have put on you, and that's why you're generous, because you feel bad, 
Listen, that's not the best motivator. Best motivator is recognizing the truth and realizing, wow, this is the truth of God's word. And I want to be generous because I see what he has done for me. And I just want to honor him through a generous lifestyle. I'll be willing to give up that seat. I'll be willing to give of my time. I'll be willing to give of my money. I'll be willing to give of uh, things that, that, that are comfortable or things that are convenient. I'll be willing to sacrifice because I see the one who sacrificed everything for me. We're called to ge- live generously. So, how do we do that? Let's go over to First Corinthians. I mean, First Timothy, rather, uh, chapter six. We were there just a little while ago. Let's just turn right back there. First Timothy, chapter six. Here's the secret. Are you ready for the secret? Lean in close. I'm going to tell you the secret. First Timothy, chapter six, and verse six says, "Godliness with contentment is great." Gain. Amen? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich and fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He said, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay a hold on eternal life to which you were also called and you confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only the, the, the pontinate King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. He said, listen, he said, these are the things you need to embrace. You need to fight the good fight. You need to hold fast to the confession of your faith. Hold fast to righteousness. Don't let greed overcome you. You brought nothing into this world. He said, you can't take anything out. He said, listen, I want you to understand that contentment, godliness with contentment, is great gain. So how do we live generously? Here's a few things I want you to write down. One, we hold temporal things loosely. If it's something that is temporary, it's not something that we're holding on to and we're putting our our, our hope or looking at it as our source of joy. We hold it loosely. You know what? In other words, if this thing ends up deteriorating or if it passes away, if if, if, if I lose it, then... I'm not going to lose my salvation over this thing. I'm not going to give up my relationship with God. Yeah, I might be discouraged. I might be disappointed. I might even be hurt. But I hold those things loosely. I don't look to them as my source. Second, we keep essential needs to a minimum. The things that we actually say that we need. I mean, come on. How many of us need that 72-inch flat-screen TV, right? Oh, that was real quiet. You guys, I feel like I'm about to get stoned or something up here. Somebody's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you just didn't. Listen, I appreciate that. (laughs) Keep essential needs to a minimum. What do we really need? I mean, what do we really need? Think about all the things that we think we have to have. I mean, remember the days before cell phones? Anyone remember that? 
You remember before we all had like really super strong, fast thumbs? I mean, now our thumbs are just really strong because we've gotten, we've worked them out so much. From texting, from Facebook. Remember the days before Facebook? Oh, what a day, Lord. <laughs> before everybody's business was out on the internet. Mm. What do we need? Think about it. What do we really need? Hold those temporal things loosely and think about what you really need. Keep those essential needs to a minimum. Number three, guard against greed. We guard against greed by living generously. Amen? Man, if I'm starting to get greedy, I need to do something generous for somebody. I need to do something where there's no strings attached, where I can't get anything in return. I'm not even doing it for a thank you. I'm not even doing it so they'll think I'm awesome. Matter of fact, the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So matter of fact, why don't you just do it in a way where they won't even know it was you? No praise, no thanks at all. If you're starting to get greedy, guard against that by doing something generous for someone else and expect nothing in return. God will use those things to work in your heart of generosity. Number four, be thankful always. You know, I think that that's huge, and I think we could talk for weeks and weeks and weeks about that one right there. I think that part of the secret of contentment is directly tied to thankfulness. Amen? Amen. I think that when we're truly thankful, we're really content because we're appreciative of what God has done. We understand He's the source. God, thank you. Wow. It stirs worship in my heart. When I see that I can live generously by being thankful always. Number five, remember, contentment is the foundation of a generous lifestyle. These are things I want you to think about this week. These are things I want you to consider. Because I know that God has called us to live, generous, to live generously. And generosity serves worship in our heart and it reflects the character of God through our lives. So how can you be generous? How can you be generous? I want you to think about it. Because we're called to be good stewards. We're called to be good managers of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. And it's not just a money issue. It's not just a time issue. It's not just an ability issue. It's a heart issue. It is a heart issue. Because everything that we have belongs to God. And we're stewards of it. So to be good, wise, and faithful stewards, use what God has given you for His glory to be a generous person. And if you do... You're going to be filled with his joy. That's a direct result of being generous is his joy. His joy is attached to a heart of generosity. When we feel like it and when we don't. When we make the decision to live generously. Because a generous lifestyle reflects Jesus in me. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com.